Hello everyone and welcome to The Stagey Place, the podcast where we hear chat to those who make the magic from behind the scenes in theatre, from writers to directors, producers to designers. And on today's show, we have the director, Sarah Meadows, and associate director, Olivia Monk, coming on to talk about their brand new musical, Ride, which has had a couple of iterations throughout the past three years, from a concert performance during lockdown to a run at the Charing Cross Theatre in London, in 2022. Well, it's now transferring to the Leicester Curve from the 7th until the 15th of July before then returning to London in a brand new venue, the Southwark Playhouse, for the summer from the 19th of July until the 12th of August 2023. Now, this episode is going to be split into two interviews as we have our guest host, Emmy, interviewing Sarah, whilst I will be interviewing Olivia later on. But first of all, let me tell you a little bit about Ride the Musical. I've seen it a couple of times, especially when it was at the Charing Cross. I also saw the concert version during lockdown and I absolutely love this production. The musical soundtrack is out now, which you can all stream and there will be some snippets throughout this episode, so do make sure you tune your ears to those. Because trust me, you'll want to stream the whole album from these snippets. It really is an album that I've listened to multiple times, time and time again without any interruptions and I think you'll be feeling the exact same too. Before coming to see the musical, whether that's in Leicester or London, or maybe you see the musical and stream the soundtrack straight after, because trust me, you'll want to. So, without any further ado, let's get on with episode 108 of The Stagey Place. For our first part of today's episode, we have Emmy Newitt, who is interviewing the director of Ride, Sarah Meadows. So, you are a director, Sarah, and can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to kind of want to pursue that as a career? Well, so I was your kind of classic working class journey into the arts, which came from just a, a sort of innate instinct to want to do it and there not be that much opportunity. You know, I was living in kind of rural Cumbria. I don't remember seeing my first show. Uh, I remember going to the Royal Exchange when I was, God, I must have been like 15 or 16, really, and kind of thought, oh my God, this is amazing, and really set my sights on Manchester as a place. And when you're northern, that's your kind of first point of contact. I suppose London even feels a little bit far away. It was really me pursuing it against all the odds in a way. It's sort of in that slightly cheesy way, I suppose. It was just kind of all that I was really interested in doing and and so I I decided to pursue it through school in various ways did lots of school plays was in all the musicals really enjoyed all of that and we were lucky enough to have that provision at school which is a huge part of not to politicize everything but you know that's a huge part of access to the arts for so many people and it really was for me we didn't have it in our area I went and studied acting kind of that's what I thought I wanted to do I think like everybody you have to be a performer and nothing else and then very quickly when I I was training probably in my first year realized that I really enjoyed acting and what I could understand from it but I was always seen quite broadly mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really felt it and I couldn't really be present in a way I needed to be as an actor and I was always just thinking about how everything knitted together and kind of realized that my brain was wanted to look at it from the other side and so I was really blessed with when I was training where there was so much more space and time and flexibility 
than perhaps there is now to explore stuff. And I basically said to my actor lead, David O'Shea is amazing acting teachers. And I think David is still, might have moved away, but he was at Manchester Met, which is where I was training. And he was just like, okay, let's try and facilitate this. So he let me have the theatre, which he just wouldn't be allowed to do now. He like, let me have one of the studios and we could rehearse late at night. We could sort of student tech team would come and we'd tech it at night time and like rehearse. And he let me basically do little mini festivals, me and a couple of others over a weekends where we got to sort of tackle texts that I would never get have got to tackle really apart from in that setting. So doing loads of kind of more experimental stuff, like some absurdist work as well as sort of some classic writers. So yeah, it kind of sort of started there really. And then I did my MA at Manchester University where I studied theatre practice because I was really interested in theatre making more broadly. And we trained with um, Robert Lepage on the sort of devising methods. And then I got my first directing placement at Contact Theatre in Manchester with John McGrath, which was amazing, where I was lucky enough for my first kind of outing to really be working under someone and next to someone whose principles really informed everything that they do in their work both in a rehearsal room as well as kind of running a building and yeah that kind of springboarded off and then I just carried on making work like you do and eventually got down to London you know. And do you feel like you know you've been really lucky because I guess like there is a lot of barriers now isn't there to kind of do the work that you're doing do you think there is more barriers now than there ever was? I think it's really hard I think the things that made it possible for me to be in this industry were firstly uh, one of my A-level tutors she supported and found a fund that helped me to go to train. I would not have been able to afford to train. I was there when the fees were less. So that also was a big thing. I paid for it all myself. I worked two jobs. I, it was crazy, you know, really. It, we were like the credit card overdraft gang. It's not a good thing, but it was the way I trained. You know, it, I basically paid for it all myself and sat with a lot of debt. And hilariously, this year paid off finally all my student loans, which is kind of amazing. And kind of a strange feeling really and then because I paid for my own master's degree I was at the time where you could you could train for free and actually get given money to train as a teacher so I also got a PGCE which has been a huge part of me being able to when I was kind of having you know now I'm mostly working full-time I do other I do bits of university drama school work but I kind of work full-time you know as a director which is kind of insane actually and I think impossible really so there's no way if I was starting out in the same place now I would be able to be doing this that's a real problem that we have in the industry and I would argue like now I've got two kids the pressures of having no financial backup and no it's really hard because you're you're trying to earn as well as do a good job at the same time and that feels really hard to balance because the money isn't really enough to live in London from the arts so (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that for a long time. It's an impossible equation for most people. And I feel like I just in that wave where I managed to get through by the the sort of generosity of people and of the education system and the kind of the hangovers of the previous government and what they enabled people like myself to be able to do. So yeah, I to answer it, yeah, I think it's impossible now. I don't really know what the answer is. No, just get rid of certain people in government. I well, think that's it. That's it. But I suppose we have to think internally as well, don't we? Like, what can we do better? But I think the fundamental issue is pay. When pay is bad and people are stressed because of their pay, the work isn't very good. Therefore, that person looks like they're not very good. When it's not the case, they're just not enabled to be good. So even if they're in the system and they're able to make work, I often find that when I'm working with like working class artists they're just struggling daily to get to the space to work so they're they're never going to be doing their best work because they're at a loss so we just have to pay people properly somehow (laughs) amen (laughs) 
So obviously, <laughs> you've done some really great work, and obviously, your critically acclaimed musical ride is heading to the curve, and then it's going to the Southwark Playhouse, Elephant. And how does it feel like to bring back a piece that you've kind of already done? Is there a pressure with that? Because obviously, as a new musical, and when it's brand new, it's completely different to then bringing it back again isn't it yeah it's a really interesting process bringing something back and I think there is a tendency to sort of you can feel that pressure and I think luckily had the experience with a couple of other shows where we've kind of done a run and then it's gone to like a transfer not a musical as such but but plays and Mm -hmm. I just try and be as practical as possible and I just look at the kind of I look I you know and and that's what the team have done with Ride you know everybody has sat down we've looked through what we kind of threw up because we had a very short amount of time to rehearse as well it was all very quick the team was gathered very late in the process so it was one of those kind of messy beautiful things where you're like okay we've just got to do this and some really great things came out of that some things that now we want to develop and change so I'm just trying to be really practical and, and work through everything and kind of make a list of the things we want to develop and what and what they are and, and and just focus on the knowledge we've all got of the show as a brilliant sort of springboard to move into the next phase of it but I do see this next version of it feeling very different there's there's been developments to the script to the book and we shift the character journeys in really beautiful ways so actually to me it feels like we we have to look at it afresh really with the brilliant confidence that we've got of some of certain aspects that we can really hold on to like the big jobs of like working out the design and all those things are kind of are fundamentally done so yeah, it's it's stressful because you feel the pressure. But I think I don't know if it's having kids or getting older or whatever. But I sort of think you've got to let go of that and you've got to just focus on the work and telling that story in the right way and just keep keep responding to how it gets received. My approach is when we get that audience in in the previews, they're gonna and anyone who comes in the rehearsal room, they're there to help to teach us about the show and for us to get and to improve. And I think as long as you have humility and you're always listening, whilst also having a strength of conviction in terms of what you believe is right. I think it should be okay (laughs) but who knows and you know we just have to be ready for all of those things and try and react that's all you can do you know and for those who are unaware of what ride is can you kind of tell us a little bit of a snapshot about it yeah it is a two-person musical as in two humans but lots of characters so we meet we don't just meet two people along the way and I think it's sort of a marker of an amazing musical where you feel like you've met so many more people along the journey so it's kind of small but big in its scale. It's exploring the amazing story of Annie Londonderry, who was the first woman to cycle around the world. And she was an incredible female historical character. She was kind of within that new woman phase at the time. And she was going against what was expected of a woman at every turn. And she's a difficult, tricky, brilliant, complex character. And she is pitching herself to the New York World newspaper as a journalist and through that tells her story and why she's going to be this amazing amazing journalist and I sort of don't want to ruin kind of where it goes but she enlists Martha who works at the uh, newspaper to help her tell her story so it's kind of pure theatre it's like it's with the most and that's what that's why it works I think it's it's this the, the inherentness of the story is about storytelling and about making the best of yourself presenting yourself in the best way so It's a beautifully theatrical musical and the songs are incredible. The actors are incredible as well. Yeah, it's just awesome. (laughs) And is there any elements of this musical that will surprise people, do you think? I hope so. You know, our, our goal with it is that with each stage of the performance that we're sort of trying to surprise and offer um, a new experience from 
every aspect of the sort of production. So be that from the design, from the actors, from the character journey. I hope it does surprise people. I'm hoping that the scale of it is, is what will feel most surprising. But again, I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> say obviously like it's a very small cast would you ever see it like as it develops that you'd want to expand that cast number or do you quite like the fact that it is so small and intimate and do you think that's kind of like important to that story I think it's incredibly important because I think what's most important is the relationship between these two people and what happens between them and that being the heart of the storytelling I think and that's what makes it work and that's why I think it's such a, a, a lovable infectious piece of work because it's following these two people and their personalities and it's a character driven musical you know I'm from theatre world and it feels like a very theatre musical and I think if you added more people you would get into numbers and all of those things that sort yeah. of you know, it feels like it it becomes spectacle uh, in a way that the, the book and the and the song, every beat of it is character driven and plot driven and there's not a stone unturned in terms of that. So <laughs> I think two people is perfect. And I think a lot of our listeners will be like really into like new musicals. So is there a real pressure with directing a new musical? And if there is, what are the main pressures of like directing a new musical? I think there's such a lot that needs to happen to make a new musical work. There's so many components compared to working on a piece of theatre. And for those things to all come together in the right way at the right time with the right people is the real challenge of it. And I think if one thing is off, you know, it's a commercial industry and it's it's hard. So these things have to sell, they have to create a buzz. I think it's expensive. Again, going back to money, you know, they're expensive to make really good unless you stick to things that are very small scale and things which have a particular limit to the kinds of stories you can tell. Again, it's just be able to fund people to have the quality to be able to produce things that are able to be successful musicals because I bet there's a, there's a thousand books out there and could be the next really popular thing but if they don't have the right resources around them it's really hard to get it off its feet really so I think those are the those are the biggest resources and yeah expensive <laughs> And is there anything you've learned during your time as a director that you wish you knew when you first started out? Oh my gosh, so many things. So thinking career-wise, the things that might on first value appear to be not as significant usually are the most significant moments in your journey. And remembering that energy of going into them without pressure, and that's when you make your best work. How can you sort of protect the space for you working in every project you do, regardless of how great the pressure starts to feel yeah how do you cut out the noise so that you can really focus on making really good art that's the thing I mean there's so many there's so many yeah. things but I think that's a really key one because ultimately it's about have, keeping your artistic eye and I do think as you progress you know I've shadowed and worked with big directors who are late on in their careers and I don't want to call it a laziness if that's the right word a sort of leaning or an acceptance of that stuff's going to happen around you and as a director and I think yeah I'm always trying to hold on to those projects where I made the way I worked and made work and how can I kind of 
protect that and keep that moving as you know as big as things get you know that's really interesting you said that that's got me thinking so one final question then for you Sarah we always ask our guests where their stage place is so where do they feel kind of most inspired or a place where most of their work kind of gets created is there a place like that for you it happens for me through connections I think I mean, it happens in my books, right? I've got one in front of me now. It happens where I write things down. <laughs> but they all of that stuff comes from collaboration. And so for me, it's, yeah, that's where it, those, those are the places, those moments where I'm working with other artists and creatives. And then I distill it into all sorts of scribbles in my books. And if I don't write it down now again, because I've got mum brain times two, I will forget that really good idea. So it's from all those moments of collaboration. And then as directors all know, they've got their books that are their most precious things that hold all of the keys, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah, to talk about Ride. It sounds fantastic and people should definitely check it out amazing thank you so much really nice to chat and there we go that concludes the first half of today's episode focusing on ride the musical where we had emmy conducting that interview with the director sarah meadows and as you will have heard we also had some snippets from the cast album which is available to stream now and you'll also hear a couple more snippets from that very same album in our next and final interview for today's episode where i got to have the most wonderful chat with the associate director of ride olivia monk Hello Liv and welcome to the Stage of Place. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Popped in just during my lunch rehearsal for Ride. Yeah, it sounds so exciting. Liv, we know each other already, but we should say that on Ride, you are the associate director of the production. Tell us a little bit about what the role of an associate director does in a show. Yeah, I think it's very different from role to role, I'd say, that the official job is to support the director. So if the director has to step out, you are their proxy in the room. Or if a director can't attend a production meeting, for example, you make sure that you are representing the directing department, however many people that entails. On Ride, it's just me and Sarah, the director. I have found that every director kind of expects something slightly different from their assistant or associate. I have absolutely loved working with Sarah. She is a really great mentor. And I feel like I have a really clear place in the room, but also like I'm just learning so much from her. So on Ride, I take lots of blocking notes. There is lots of things that are changing, evolving, particularly with choreography, as of course you get during a musical. So that gets very intricate. So making sure we have everything written down, that it's always up to date with whatever we change. And that's to inform the next time we do Everybody Loves a Lie Again. And we're like, oh my gosh, when did she pick up the gavel and sing into it? But it's also really important for me to have that down for when I rehearse the understudy. So this year we have the very excellent Fallon Mondlane, who is our understudy for both roles so she's learning both tracks and so she and I will come in a little bit earlier stay a little bit late so that's also for she and I to make sure that she's comfortable in both tracks beyond that just kind of little bits and pieces here and there sometimes I'll stand behind a set piece and make sure it's load bearing just kind of (laughs) anything in the room it's a very welcoming collaborative space we all kind of pitch in when needed so I've been having so much fun it's a very collaborative role then and like you say you have that role where you can just work with the actors in the room and the understudies and you can Mm -hmm. just be in the room with that person and tell people how to play that role now obviously in this version of Ride we have some new cast members joining the team from previous versions so what's the energy like this time around in the rehearsal room compared to rehearsal rooms that you've been in before with Ride? 
I mean, the ride rehearsal room has always been a ton of fun. Sometimes it feels like it's all of the gals, you know, mucking about in one corner. And it's just so much fun. You know, just as fun this year as it was last year. I would say last year, it was a lot of figuring out what is this musical? Mm -hmm. Who is Annie? What story are we trying to tell? So there's a lot of figuring out. What is this song? What's its place in the story? And this year, we're still doing a lot of that. So really revisiting it with fresh eyes. But we know that this moment in every level loves a lie, she always does a coin trick. So we kind of have a bit of more of a structure, I would say, but really kind of finding those refined moments in between. The cast is so much fun. You know, as everybody says in theater, I wake up every day and I'm like, is this really my job? It's just such a blast. I'm such a sucker for a musical. <laughs> so the energy is just as interrogative, but we have something to fill in, I guess. Yeah. And obviously earlier on in this episode, we heard from Sarah. She spoke a little bit about the show, about Annie Londonderry, about the journey that these two characters go on, Annie and Martha, in the show. But for you, Liv, did you know much about Annie Londonderry before you applied for the role as associate director? So I had actually seen the very first iteration of Ride at Vault Festival 2020. I think it's final week. It was one of those moments right before COVID where you're sitting in a group of people and you're like, I'm very aware suddenly of how many humans are breathing around me. I think it might be one of the last things I saw before lockdown because I'm very fortunate to know Naomi Chapman who was the producer for Bottle Cup at Vault Festival 2020. So I went down to see it because um, I'll see it, you know anything that Naomi does and I loved it and I had some of the songs stuck in my head all through lockdown. So when this opportunity came up you know it was no question but before that I'd never heard of Annie Londonderry. And so why do you think that Annie Londonderry's story should be told? Like what is so beautiful about the history and about what she did that should be told on stage. So Annie Londonderry is just, I mean, she's a fantasist, as it says sort of at the beginning of the script, in that she makes up stories, but they're ones that you really want to believe. And she did do incredible things, although she embellished. I always like mm-hmm. to say she, or we like to say in the rehearsal room that she traveled around the world with the bicycle. She wasn't always on it, but she was with the bicycle. But I mean, she was a young woman who was an Orthodox Jew. She lived in tenements in Boston. She was a Latvian immigrant. We talk a lot in the room about anti-Semitism in America, which was really quite prevalent and really discriminatory. And I think that it's really important to realize what the bicycle meant at that time. Women didn't didn't often have pockets because nobody wanted them to have property, let alone have something where they could get from place to place easily. It was like a sign of suffrage. It was a sign of mobility. And so for a woman from an immigrant background who already was taking care of multiple children at the age of 24 to suddenly say, I'm going to ride around the world on a bicycle was unheard of. I mean, even today, if I was to get up and say, I'm going to travel around the world, that would still be quite astonishing. And we have, you know, significantly more liberation for women today than we did in 1894. So I think that it's a story that I think it was put very well in the New York Times. They did this series of obituaries called Overlooked No more. 
And Annie Lundedere was one of those people. So she's someone who is worthy of remembering for the feminism that she embodied a hundred years before we were really talking about that mainstream. So I love her. I just love Annie. Yeah. And obviously this year, it's going to be at Leicester Curve before they're moving yes. to the Southwark Playhouse in London. What are you most excited about for audiences seeing in this production? If people have seen the show before as well, what mm. can audiences expect from this time around the show? coming back yeah well there's some fun new dance bits the songs are the same the soundtrack is out now i think the producers would say i was being remiss if i did not mention that you should stream it on spotify and apple yeah. music we'll see yes yeah, so we've got some fun new dance bits just kind of reworking the dramaturgy i think of the songs i think is really interesting mm. it's the same book from last year but a little bit of a different ending which i think oh. um some hardcore fans will find very interesting not not a terribly different ending but i think the relationship between annie and martha it's really refining in a way that feels very exciting and i think that you know the songs just keep getting better and better every time i hear them just reworking oh if we had three more bars of music there what could happen or what's that silent moment where we hear the music and the orchestration it's every day the level of detail that Sam and Sarah and everybody puts in the production really teaches me more and more about what theater is. And I just think it'll be incredibly exciting for people to see, even if you know the story by heart, think again. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just talking there about the soundtrack. It was released very, very recently um, yeah. to this episode being released. Do you have a favorite from the soundtrack yourself? Oh, it honestly totally depends on the day. Really depends what we've been working on in the show at that moment. You know, I actually cycle to and from rehearsals and I'm very proud of the fact that I think I'm the only person that does that. I live, <laughs> I live very nearby, so I'm quite lucky. But I often will just kind of sing to myself, ride while I'm cycling. Yeah. Or lately it's been Everybody Loves a Lie, but I think you can't you can't go wrong with Stranger. I mean, the depth that Liv finds vocally and emotionally is just astonishing. She was uprooted at five left the land of her people for a land built on dreams her home lasted all of ten years no mama papa don't leave us we'll be torn at the sea Yeah, I think my personal favourite is Miles Away from Boston. I just think oh, it's yeah. so beautifully sung between the two of them. And knowing how it was being staged, obviously having seen it at the Charing Cross Theatre last year and how I remember that song being staged, I'm like, I can just like vision so much after like listening to the soundtrack, literally live over and over again. Like it's yeah. so catchy. A lot of people say listening to the soundtrack, it feels like you're on a ride, you're cycling yeah. at the same time because the beats are so there. And at the start of every okay. song, you've just got the momentum. Like you can listen to basically nearly every song on that soundtrack and just ride yourself along with the soundtrack. It's so beautifully done. I mean, if any soul cycle instructors are listening, the BPMs are perfect for a ride yeah. soul cycle class. I really think so. Yeah, <laughs> we should be starting that. We should be having our own little sessions, musical a session. <laughs> <laughs> human race on your marks get ready grab your bike and go just ride leave the past behind you see what lies beyond the bend and ride forget what once defined you and get ready for your new best friend
So Liv, thanks so much for coming on to talk about the show and your role as Associate Director. Before we end off, and I want to ask you the last question on the podcast, do you just want to talk a little bit about the rest of the team that are on the show and just shout out the brilliance that is Ride the Musical? I'm going to start out with the stage management team. I think our SM team, uh, you know, last year it was incredible. This year it's amazing. I mean, every single prop in the play is of the time period. All the newspapers are articles about Annie Londonderry. Every prop is for the right size of someone's hand. Just like Jamal, Ben, Betty doing incredible detailed work, making sure we're all taken care of. We know exactly what we're doing. You know, you don't really get HR often in theater, but when you've got a really solid stage management team, you just feel so supported. And I always know if I haven't written down a block, you know, I can look at Betty and she'll tell me. So I just, I just want to start with the stage management team. You know, the cast, Fallon, Katie, Liv, are just doing such detailed work with a huge smile on their face and making it feel like I don't have a job. Sarah, of course, as you'll have heard of her earlier in the episode, is just such a detailed, brilliant director. And I feel very lucky to be working with her for the second time. The producer is incredible. Sam, that boy can just do magic on the ivory keys. Ray and Jack, obviously, have written such a beautiful musical. And I always know I can, you know, like last night I was texting Freya with some dramaturgical questions and Jack's always there to tweak the music as we need it. It just is such a brilliantly collaborative team and hope you will join us for the ride absolutely and you can join everyone for the ride at the Kerr Theatre in Leicester from the 7th of July until the 15th of July before then going to the Southwark Playhouse from the 19th of July until Saturday the 12th of August in London at the Southwark Playhouse Liv thank you so much for coming on I've got one final question for you though it's the title yes. of this podcast that's the stagey place and what I love to know from all of my guests is where their stagey place is so for you Liv it could be the rehearsal room whether or not that's for Ride or any other show that you've been in it could be watching a show at the theatre you saw Ride originally in 2020 at the Vault Festival maybe it's a festival maybe it's the Vault Festival or the Edinburgh Fringe Festival maybe it's someone that's inspired you throughout your career in the theatre industry mm. so Olivia Monk for you whereabouts is your stagey place I'm gonna say my stagey place is probably on a sidewalk in Manhattan getting up at 5 a.m and sitting with a bunch of strangers because we're trying to get rush tickets to a musical <laughs> that's probably my <laughs> stagey place when you're with all of the hardcore fans and you know you've just got to get that $25 ticket to see Daniel Radcliffe in How to Succeed and you're yeah. 17 years old and it's gonna be the best <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life that is that is my stagey place. That is such an incredible stagey place. What's the kind of <laughs> what's the best rush ticket you've ever got from standing on a sidewalk in Manhattan? Oh man, I think probably Daniel Radcliffe and How to Succeed. Yeah. It, it, he's just such a brilliant performer, and of course, you know there was no way I was going to miss that. My parents, my parents made me miss Equus, but I wasn't going to miss. Oh, <laughs> I, I think that's I, was, I think I, that's I, why. I was a little too young for Equus. I was a little too young for Equus, but um, yeah, I think that was quite the key rush ticket in my in my youth. <laughs> well, Liv, thanks so much for joining us here again on the Stage of Place to talk about Ride the Musical. Thank you so much for having me, Elliot. Always a pleasure. Well, there we go. That was our second and final interview for today's episode, focusing on Ride the Musical, which plays at the Leicester Curve from the 7th until the 15th of July, before then heading over to London, where it transfers to the Southwark Playhouse from the 19th of July until the 12th of August. You would have also heard snippets from the cast recording in today's episode. The songs featured were Ride, Across America, Everybody Loves a Lie and Stranger. 
And if you enjoyed those snippets and wanted to listen to all the songs that are featured in the musical, you could do so by listening to the album wherever you stream your music. So just a few thank yous from my side. I'd love to thank Sarah Meadows and Olivia Monk who featured in today's episode, the director and associate director of Ride the Musical, plus Emmy Newitt who conducted the first half of today's episode with Sarah. Thank you all for being a part of this podcast. I cannot wait to see the musical again in Leicester, hearing a few little changes that have been made to the story and to the direction is also a really exciting way for returnees to come back and see Ride once again. Plus, I'm hoping to bring many, many friends when it transfers to London. So this sounds like it's going to be one of the musicals you're going to want to see over the summer of 2023. And so that brings us to the end of today's episode. I've been Elliot, you've been listening to The Stage of Place. And until next time, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.